0: Welcome back to PRSSA Podcasts and happy 2024. My name is Basha, I'm a PR senior at Emerson College and the Vice President of Brand Engagement on the PRSSA National Committee. This is another episode in our PR with the Pros series made up from interviews with PR professionals from a variety of fields. Today, I'm here with Dr. Maria Scott, PR professional and educator. Dr. Scott started her career out of college as a sports journalist in Tampa, Florida. She extended her journalist career in sports to the suburbs of Philadelphia. During her time as a journalist, Dr. Scott covered professional hockey and football, high school sports, equestrian competitions, rodeos, motorsports, and more. After years as a journalist, Dr. Scott moved to sports and entertainment PR with her role as the assistant director of communications and community relations for Super Bowl 35. In her early 20s, Dr. Scott was able to serve as the director for the media center during Super Bowl week. She moved to work at ESPN as the lead PR person for the X Games, Winter X Games, and later ran the media for the SP Awards. After building what is now ESPNmedia.com, winning Mercury Awards with her team, and bringing the X Games to new heights, Dr. Scott moved to another Super Bowl 41. this time overseeing a team and creating press opportunities. Remaining in South Florida, Dr. Scott also took on a role for the now Miami Open and helped to jumpstart a large scale military event on Memorial Day weekend, the national salute to America's heroes. In the process, Dr. Scott was able to serve as a consultant for NASCAR, the PGA Tour, and more. Dr. Scott has spent 15 years as a PR professor, taking students to work live events that range from red carpet galas to 5K walks for nonprofits to large-scale sports events and fan-based events. Hi, Dr. Scott. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on our podcast. Thank you for having me. Okay, let's jump right in. Um, Your career path is filled with incredible roles across the sports and entertainment industries, but let's start from the beginning. Can you tell us about your start in journalism and how you transitioned to PR? Yeah, absolutely.
1: So I went to the University of Florida. I majored in public relations, and in the 90s, there really were not a lot of women who if they were in public relations or sports PR, or even sports journalism, there were very few and they weren't forward facing. And it was hard to see that as a career path. It's sort of like, if you don't see someone like you, how do you attain that? So I kind of sought the advice of a family friend who suggested that maybe I start my career in sports journalism, which at the time did have more women in the forefront. So I thought, great, like I'll learn more. This is a great way to begin. Also, as everyone knows, PR and journalism are really, Two sides of the same coin, right? So I thought, great, I'll learn storytelling. Um, I went to a school where writing and journalism was a really big part of our public relations curriculum. So we did have to learn how to write on deadline. We did have to learn a lot of these pieces. So that's kind of why I started was really more to get a better understanding of everyday sports, learn storytelling, learn news acumen, be able to know how to write on deadline, be able to know how to learn a different sport than maybe the ones I grew up with or the ones that I already understood. So it was a great education. I spent about, you know, five or six years as a journalist in different places. And I really feel like it helped me be a better professional on the PR side. Then when I transitioned, it was really while I was in grad school learning something completely different, which was sports management. And I had the opportunity to go do my master's Kind of like a like kind of like an internship. It really wasn't an internship. It's a graduate level uh, course essentially. But I got the opportunity to go and do it for the Super Bowl, and they needed someone to do communication and PR and community relations. Uh, I became the assistant director. It, like I said, it was part of my curriculum, and the transition was really easy for me because I'm still in a press box. I have a slightly different job, still in a press box, still working on a deadline, still every day writing the same AP styles the same on both sides so for me the transition really wasn't I mean it basically just went from having a night job in sports to a day job in sports but other than that there really wasn't a big difference in terms of the quality
0: of work and what I was actually doing mm-hmm. um, I bet working for ESPN and Super Bowls is a dream for a lot of our listeners what was that like I mean, so it's hard
1: to just sum up and, sum it up and say, like, this is what it was like, right? Um, I think there's really high points and other points where, like, you look back and you say, wow, I really would have done that differently. And so what I would say is there's a couple of bases that I will always talk about when I say talk to anyone about working in sports, the classes that I teach, students who are interested, even people who are out in the real world and say, like, wow, like, what is that really like? And my answer is always the same. Working in sports, working in entertainment, these are non-traditional hours. You work on federal holidays. You work on Thanksgivings. If you guys have a big game or if we had a big event and someone was getting married at that same time, there's zero chance I was getting off. And so your work-life balance really isn't in your own control in a lot of those instances. And I know people listening to this will be like, well, no, I would just take those days off. And the answer is like, well, you kind of can't. Like I was the only person who did my job. It's not like if I'm not there, someone else just steps in. That's really not the case. So really cool. You definitely get to, you know, I'm a big fan of the Wizard of Oz. You get to to see behind the curtain. And for some people, I will also say that is very challenging for them. If you're a fan of sports, you need to either accept that you're going to have to separate being a fan out from doing a specific job Or you're not going to stay working in that industry very long because it's really hard to have a fan in a professional environment. Those are two completely separate skill sets. And some people can do it and they can manage it and it's super easy for them. And some people just aren't able to. And so I saw a lot of that. Uh, Like I said, when I first started, there weren't a lot of women. So it was a little harder for me to. Like, think, oh, this is great. Like, I'm going to go into this. When I transitioned to ESPN, that was a little different. Almost our whole team in communication was women, but in sports in general. So, we were the entire group that created and ran the X Games. Our group in general was about 60, 40 um, men. And so, that's, I think, a little more the norm. Um, and it's probably getting better as time has progressed. So, I I mean, I think that those are my biggest answers of what it's like. It's very cool. It's very cool to be able to be in the stadium when the Lombardi Trophy is awarded. It's very cool to see an X Games athlete who's 16 years old and essentially, like for some people, a kid, but has been skating for their whole life or snowboarding for their whole life, win that gold medal, which means a lot to them. Uh, So it's cool to be in the room for those times. But when you're working, remember you don't get to stand there and be a fan and be like, ooh, like that's really cool and amazing you have another job to do. So I I won't give up those days, but I definitely think that people have to understand there's a balance.
0: Mm -hmm. I think the world of sports and entertainment is often glamorized in media. And we often don't think about what working in those industries is actually like. So it's always good to hear from someone who worked in those industries and knows a bit more than we can see in the media. And to wrap up your career path to date, uh, why did you transition to teaching at a university? So I think
1: my biggest reason for transitioning was for the time that I was at the Super Bowl or ESPN or the Miami Open or any of the events that I did in any of the sports I worked in, the more I had interns come and work for me the more I realized that there was some sort of a gap happening between what people are learning in classes and what we really need in the industry. And I think my biggest reason for for teaching and doing teaching full time was really to try to bring more experiential learning and experiential learning opportunities into the classroom. And that that's everything from service learning, where you work with a real client on your campaigns class or in your writing class, you're building a media kit for a real nonprofit, as opposed to just, Learning how to write a press release, I learned how to write a press release for organizations that didn't exist. We just practiced it. But in the heat of the moment, when you're really having to take into account specific words for that client, specific sensibilities, writing on a deadline, turning things in, I think that these are skills that students really need to have. And I kind of joined in the, I joined academia in the hopes that I could potentially hope for a little bit of a shift toward more experiential and service learning.
0: Mm-hmm. That's amazing. For those who don't know, Dr. Scott is also my professor and advisor at Emerson, and some of her classes that feature experiential learning have truly been one of my favorites because we get a chance to work with real clients and learn how to actually do PR. But let's talk a bit more about sports because I think this is what our listeners are mainly interested in. This is an industry with a very high entry barrier. And as you mentioned, it's a lot of work, it's long hours. So, what was it about sports that made you choose it? I
1: don't know that I chose for the reason everybody else chooses. So, like I told you before, most of my classes, when I come in and talk to people, they're like, oh my God, I'm a huge fan. I was a huge fan. I love sports, I love entertainment, but I like the fast paced nature. So, when I said I was a fan of sports, I wasn't necessarily a fan of one team or one athlete. I'm a fan of being in that space when something miraculous happens, of seeing two teams battle it out to see who can win. And for me, the the love of the overall was my ability to not care about those long hours, was my ability to not. So I was able to look past some of those things. Like I said, it's very long hours, they're non-traditional. For people who work, just say, for example, one of our recent grads is here working in the Bruins. They go in eight or nine in the morning. Their game doesn't start till six or seven at night. So they're working all day long. Maybe they get a one hour, one and a half hour break for lunch, dinner, relax a little bit, whatever. But as you know, you're not commuting home and going home for that time and coming back because that would be your entire break. So you're really staying at the office from 8 a.m. until midnight or 1, 1 a.m., and the reason I say midnight is that's what time the press box closes. There are people who are gonna be writing on deadline until midnight, and that's that's a long day. By the time you get home, by the time you settle down, that's a couple hours turnaround, including sleep, that then you're back at the office the next day. And I don't know that people really understand that's what you're looking at. You're looking at an entire season, and it's not just hockey. They're all, all sports are kind of like this. It's really long hours. Um, And again, when you love it, it doesn't seem long, but it weighs on you over time for sure. Um, I definitely think that part of my choice for being in this was also that I wasn't great at sitting behind a desk. I looked at the people who graduated with me and they were going to agencies or they were going into specific types of PR that saddled them in an office space and In the 90s, for me at least, I was looking at that going, wow, that's kind of not what I want. Like, I don't know that I'm going to survive really well in this. I also knew I wasn't probably the best fit for some of the environments in terms of my own personality. But I loved sports. I loved the fact that part of my job would be standing in a dirt field. Or, you know, for the X Games, I was up to my knees in snow. And for the Winter X Games and stuff. So not everyone loves that, but it got me into a space where it was kind of like where
0: I was happiest. Wow. Okay. And can you tell me one or two of your favorite memories during your time at ESPN and working at the Super Bowls? Sure. So
1: I think different people have different memories for different reasons, right? Like it's certainly cool to see Tony Hawk land something amazing, to see Travis Pastrana land the first backflip for the X Games. Those are amazing memories. But to me, every fan in that room shares that memory, right? They all have that same thing. Everybody who sat there and watched that event, you can go on now and still watch it. It's still one of the greatest X Games highlights and stuff. But that's not mine because I'm, I wasn't riding that motorcycle. That's Travis, you know what I mean? So for me, my favorite memories are things where I really got to see two sides come together, right? I had an athlete who wanted to break a world record. I had a couple of them. We brought in Guinness. We stood there while I was literally inches away from these motorcycles, whether they made it over this pole or they didn't. It's kind of an event where it was like a high jump and you're high jumping it with a motorcycle if you want to paint the picture in your head. Well, wow. But standing next to Guinness World Records and having them you know, understand what this event was and then them be like, wow, we're mighty close. And I said, well, you said you needed to be close to authenticate this. And that to me was a really cool memory because... I got to be there while someone broke a world record that held for decades. So to that person, that was very meaningful to that athlete who maybe sometimes goes a little unrecognized. It wasn't the flashiest of our sports that meant something to them. It was very cool to me to then have our place cemented in sort of history. So there was a couple pieces of that, that, so those are the memories I would say that for me, mean more things. Same thing for things like the Super Bowl. You know, I got to be in the media center when really cool shows would happen, when really cool events would come through. My memories, sometimes they're great and they're things that like I'm really proud of and I'm glad that we were able to do. Putting someone on an interview uh, during Super Bowl week. There was a fan who traveled and we got the opportunity to, there's usually a place in the media center where fans can come and like observe, right? It's like a fishbowl kind of environment. And as I was walking through, I was listening to some of the different fans talk, and one of the hosts at either ESPN, NFL Network, one, one of the hosts had said, like, if you ever hear fan stories, let us know. So I sent some of my students up, and I sent some people that were interning for me up and said, hey, like, why don't you go kind of talk to people and listen? They came back, and they said, we have a couple stories. I was able to go talk to someone. I got that person on national news. And part of it was it was this person's bucket list to be able to go. And we were able to make that person's story really resonate with a lot more people. And to me, those are the memories that really mattered because that's what PR is about. You're, You're telling stories, you're making memories, you're connecting those things. So yes, I have really cool memories of being in the stadium, watching the Lombardi trophy, doing all of these other things. But I have ones that are more things that
0: I helped happen. And to me, that's what matters. Wow, no, this sounds amazing. Even though I'm not that interested in sports, every time I hear your stories, I'm like, this is so cool. Um, I know you've shifted to teaching full-time and working part-time. So what changes have you seen in the sports and entertainment industries?
1: Obviously, social media has had a, a tremendous impact on how people get news, how people digest news, Social media was around during my tenure in these companies, but it wasn't the primary way that people were communicating. Um, And I think that that's one of the biggest impacts. I do think that there has been a pretty significant ethical change. I think that with social media, there are some ethical concerns that not only should everyone be trained on, if you're running a social media page or multiple platforms for a company, you really have to check your ethics pretty often that race to be first to announce something. Sometimes you're releasing something that R and D doesn't want you to share. Um, Sometimes you're sharing a a personal story about someone that they told you as a colleague, not you as the social media person. And I think that sometimes social media has led to almost oversharing in some industries. And I don't know that that, our ethics are, are remaining as true as they should be, especially because for PRSA and for PRSSA, that's one of our pillars, right? You know, that's something we should always be conscious about. So that's definitely been a big shift. I also think that in general, how people and where people consume media has become very different. We didn't have the opportunity to have as authentic of storytelling as many times as I would have liked. Like, obviously, I worked at ESPN. We have our own network. We have our ability to reach audiences. But if we put something up on our website, most people who read that are going to know, oh, this is curated. This is telling a story that they want to tell. I think you can do a little bit different now, not only just through social media, but just even through podcasts like this or blogs or videos that you can post. That's that person telling their story. Sure, there's a little bit that can be edited But it's not an AI figment of something. Do you know there really is someone telling that story? And I think that that's something that can be very powerful. And I'm hoping that people realize the true magnitude of what that can do in the future. So I think those are the biggest things that I've seen. Um, I I think that maybe there's also a little bit of a difference where when when I came out of college, and this just isn't like between when I came out of college, but it was like a slow that I would watch. It was like a slow incline immediacy has become something that people are very impatient for. If you can't get knowledge in two seconds, it's almost like people are like, oh, forget it, I give up, or like this isn't something that people know, or I'm not going to wait and go dig for the answer. And sometimes digging for the answer is part of the fun. You've heard me tell stories before where journalists would ask me questions I didn't know, and I had to go dig for those answers even after many years of practice, but digging for those answers, I learned a lot about my own industry, and I learned a lot about the people I worked with. And that actually helped me foster and build better relationships with my own staff and the own, my own people within the company. So if I had never had that question and never had to do that, what would those relationships look like now? And I worry sometimes that our immediacy, our interest in that is eclipsing our ability to make these other finds in life.
0: Wow. Okay. And do you have any predictions for the future? Do you think these trends will continue?
1: I do. I think that there's a lot of conversation about how AI will be used. And again, I'm going to go back to the ethics of we really have to ask ourselves some questions. Basha, you just finished a huge campaign for a client, for a real client. And if you all had said to me, we want to generate all of our social media samples, all 1,200 social media samples solely by AI. I think our question, the question I would have is, are we really servicing the client? What are we doing that the client couldn't do themselves? And and we have to be really careful that if you're going to use a tool, with, and that's exactly what it is, it's a tool. And if you're going to use any tool, you should know how to have mastery with that tool. So one, it doesn't backfire on you, right, and get you hurt. So it would be the same thing if I was teaching someone how to build a house, I'm not going to put the tools in the hand of that person and then let them get injured doing it. And I think what we have to ask is, how do we use AI strategically? and in a way that actually augments what we're creating for clients, as opposed to replaces what we're creating for clients or diminishes our work, right? Because every person who works in the AI industry, and I actually here in Boston work with some, and know some very brilliant people who they're on the forefront of this. And every time we talk, they say the same thing. It still doesn't replace human thought. And it doesn't replace human ability to put two concepts together and make something amazing. Do you know what I mean? It's it's amazing, doesn't always come from one idea. Sometimes it comes from this idea over here, that idea over there and someone going, hey, we could merge those, but that still takes a person. And that's, so that's what I think the future is gonna be about is us navigating. How do we use all of these amazing resources we have and still serve our clients?
0: Mm -hmm. I think that's very important and it is one of the bigger conversations now. I think it's important to remember to use those tools and a way to make our work better, not just replace what we're doing. Um, So let's move to some insights for students. What advice would you give students or young professionals looking to work in sports and entertainment?
1: That's a great question. And frankly, I kind of wish people asked it more often. And the reason I say that is my answer is If this is really what you want to do, if you come and tell me, hey, I want to be working in sports or I want to be working in entertainment, my follow-up question is going to be exactly the same every time. Great. I'm excited. I hope you enter the industry that I have loved my entire life. How many games have you worked? Have you been inside a live press box? How many live events have you worked? And when their answer to me is, oh, well, none. That's my answer to you, Basha. My answer to you, Basha, is you need to get out there. And and I'm all for making sure that you get paid and making sure that your work is worthwhile, but it doesn't it can't always start there. There's only so many positions in the world. And sometimes you have to be a little on the like a little bit of a self-advocate and say, "You know what? I want to volunteer, but not only do I want to volunteer. If I'm going to be a volunteer for the Super Bowl, right? So the Super Bowl, every city that hosts the Super Bowl, they they go out and they search, search for th- 5,000, 7,000 volunteers. If I'm a college student in that town or in any town nearby, if I can drive, fly, magic carpet myself, whatever, to get there, not only do I want to volunteer, I want to volunteer in media. I want to volunteer in PR. I want to volunteer in an area that's not just going to make me running NFL experience, but that's going to put me in a place that gives me an experience that then when someone like me comes to them and says, How many live games have you been at? They could be like, Oh, I worked at the media center for the Super Bowl for this many days in a row. You know, and it's and it's also a little bit about that go-gettedness, right? I'm much more eager as an employer when I see someone, if I see a volunteer who's killing it, who's there when I get there at five o'clock in the morning and who's still there at midnight when I leave, that's the person that I'm gonna say, Are you in are you in college? Are you studying this? Yes. Are you interested in an internship in the future? Yes. Cool. Like, here's my cards. Keep in touch with me and let's go do an internship. That's what's going to start to make a difference. That's what's going to start to open doors for you is you taking that step. But I also can't tell you how many people have said, oh, I want to work in entertainment. Like, they see the glamour. They see the Oscars and they see all of this stuff. And they don't realize that, like, my job for the ESPYs, I was there at four o'clock in the morning vacuuming a carpet to make sure that the room was ready. My staff... It's nice that they want to look nice. I looked nice, but I also was sensible, meaning my shoes were not stilettos because even though I only was walking back and forth in the media center and a little bit back and forth in the red carpet, I still logged 12 miles that day or 15 miles. And that's just on a little route that would almost be like walking, you know, at a at a track going around a whole bunch of times like that's insanity. And, and I think that those are the things that I would ask people, if they say that they have those experiences, then I already know that person's not going to show up in stilettos, or I already know that student who wants to work in sports is going to show up 30 minutes early and say, how can I help get ready? Because those are the things that make a difference.
0: Mm -hmm. It's great that you're saying that, because I think I don't hear that as often. I usually hear People talk about skills, networking, or just doing internships to so like bigger things or jobs. Uh, but it's good to remember that you can, for example, just work one event or volunteer at like one, um, have just one smaller opportunity that can bring you closer to getting something bigger later. Mm-hmm. Um, from your perspective, both in the professional world and the academic one, what are some skills students can work on during college that can put them ahead when entering the job market?
1: There's a bunch. Um, So I definitely think if you're at a college that has writing classes, whether you're a terrific writer or you're a okay writer, and if you're a really poor writer, we probably should talk about like what you really wanna do in PR. But in general, you should be taking as many classes as possible. I'm not talking about poetry and creative writing. If you wanna do those, kudos to you. I I was a literature and English minor. But what I will say is don't shy away from doing as much coursework as possible. Also make sure that the courses you're taking when possible can add to your overall portfolio. I wanna see students graduate with a robust portfolio that demonstrates their ability to do a number of things. And that doesn't just mean writing. I encouraged you and other, I tell this to students all the time, you wanna potentially work in social media, you wanna create videos, you need to learn graphic design. You need to learn color theory. You need to learn balance. You need to learn these things. This stuff matters. So if your school offers a class, I don't care if it's in the art school across when you're debating what other elective and you have all those extra credits to take and you're like, oh, basket weaving sounds fun or glass blowing or like whatever, really rethink that and use this opportunity to look at what else is offered and what, how can that add to that toolbox of useful skills that you graduate with. And to me, that's what you're doing. So if you, have a, if you have a class at your college that allows you to then go get certified in Salesforce, I don't know if you're going to use Salesforce in the future, but neither do you. That's the funny part of it. So go and get certified in those things. Same thing with Muckrack. Muckracker, if you're a student and your college has an account, earn that certification. Add it to your LinkedIn. These things cannot possibly hurt you in any way. So use this opportunity. And this time, like I tell, and this is, it's a weird analogy because I realized suddenly when I would say this all the time, you guys didn't play this game growing up, but there's a game called hungry, hungry hippos and it's marbles in the center. And all these hippos are trying to get as many marbles as possible. Your entire time in college should be a really long version of hungry, hungry hippos. You should graduate with as many marbles as possible because if you don't, you have no way to say like, well, I deserve that job or I was the best qualified for it. You don't know that person who applied against you, they could have won Hungry, Hungry Hippos at their college. You know, it. unfortunately, it is a game of comparisons, right? So you are being compared to other people in your age bracket, other people who've gone to college, and you need to do whatever you can to make your
0: time in college benefit you. hmm. I think this is really great advice I think a lot of people struggle with picking those electives They don't know what courses to take or they just take random courses, just to get the credits but it's important to still think about that strategically. What are some characteristics or soft skills that you have that most contributed to your success.
1: um. I don't, I don't know that I have like, so I would say when I started, it's probably different than when I kind of went through my career. I was very hungry when I started. I was very eager. And I think that it benefited me when I was at newspapers, when I first started, whether I was getting paid extra for it or not, whether I was going to get some sort of accolade for doing something or recognition or not was irrelevant to me. Anything I could do to build my skills, anything I could do to say, yeah, I covered a live professional hockey game. I covered a whole bunch of live professional hockey games for free on my days off so that I could get that understanding of what it was like. And then when they had a position that was like here and there, it was like, oh, we can have you go and do game notes here and there, but now we'll pay you for it. Now I'm the only person who's had that experience. So it benefited me to raise my hand and be super hungry and be super eager. So if a soft skill is like eagerness, that was probably my first one when out the gate. Like I was eager to absorb, to sponge. I would stay extra and learn from the editors why they changed stories. When I got different positions, if someone needed help, even in a different department, even when I was a grad student and now I'm, you know, working at the Super Bowl, our volunteer, our head of volunteers would need people to come out to these volunteer recruitment events all the time. And every time that she would need someone, I would raise my hand. I'm from Tampa. The event was in Tampa. I was like, heck yeah, I'll come help you. I know that beach. I grew up in that area. I didn't get paid extra for this. I didn't get a thank you from anyone other than her who was, who was thankful. But every time I would do those things, it benefited me. So I think curiosity and eagerness were those two that started. Once I got into my career further, I think patience in teaching the people who interned for me and the people who worked for me was a skill that really benefited me because it helped me grow my network. Some of those people who were my interns are people who I'm still really close with to this day because I took the time to explain things to them, to help them, to say the why are we doing it this way, not just we are doing this and it, the answer is because. The answer is never because, there's a reason. And I took the time to say that reason. I would also say that the other soft skill that I probably have always had is my interest in representing myself well in the sense of like doing the best work I can. Not everyone loves me. Not everyone has always loved either my personality or the fact that I'm kind of, you know, direct or that I'm honest about with my answers and I don't beat about around the bush. But the reality is, I work really hard, and I think that there's a lot of people who see that and have seen that in my career, that I'm never unhappy to to come early or to stay late or to show up for things. And if my students ask me for extra help and say, hey, can you help and come to this? I'm going to go. And I think that that's, even though it impacts my time, it's something I'm always willing to do. And I think that that's something that
0: has really benefited me as well. Mm hmm that's great. And uh, lastly, are there any sports or entertainment specific skills or requirements that students should keep in mind? I know we talked about the practical experience. Is there anything else? Yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, I would say if this is a real industry, like if you're super interested in going and working uh, for as an SID for colleges or for a professional team, or in any kind of where it's like live professional sports, I'm not talking about a foundation. I'm talking about live professional sports. Practicing writing on deadline, I don't know that people realize, but those PR people put a press release out within 30 minutes of a game ending. How do you think that happens? It's not elves. Someone's writing that. So you need to learn how to write on the deadline. Like you can't take until two days to write that summary press release. You know, and I hear from students now, oh, I needed an extra day to get that done. And in my head, I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. Like that's, that may not work. Like if you're, you know, there's other industries where sure you can take an extra day and it's not going to be a problem. For my industry, for the X Games, we put a press release out for every event we did. In one day, we would have 11 press releases go out. Like for people, that's overwhelming for them. They're like, how could that ever be possible? And we had one writer. This wasn't a team. One person wrote all that. And I think that that's, those are skills that like if people want this, And interestingly, that was even a job we hired for. We looked for college students to come and help us be that writer. That would have been an amazing experience. You would have been like, yeah, that's my press release right there. See that? With the X Games logo on the top, you know? So um, so I would say those things. I would say learning how to do live photography. I think right now a lot of people... You know, you're using your phone, you're taking these beautiful selfies, but you're not really looking at the content of that. Like, are you? I mean, you are because you're very good at this, but I don't know that everybody else is. I don't know that everyone's looking. Is the shading right? Am I really doing this? And now you add motion to it, right? Now you're shooting a football game or you're doing, gosh forbid, it's a, an equestrian event and now there's animals involved <laughs> and you really can't control that. Are you really taking the time to perfect your skills in these areas of jobs that you're looking to go into? And those are the things where it's like, those are some skills where I would, I'd love to have someone come to me and say, yeah, for my college, you know, I worked up in the press box, I shot photos on the sideline, you know, I did stuff for social media, they're already building some of the skills that they're going to need in the future. So I guess that's kind of my answer. Um, same thing for entertainment, entertainment people also, for that one, I would say you also need to learn how to speak to people. Celebrities are just normal people, right? I'm, they're fancier and they, sometimes they have more things surrounding them. But the reality is if you can't talk to them, if you're going to hem and haw and be hesitant or be starstruck or not be able to come up with the right words, you're going to have a really hard time working in entertainment because you're not going to be able to walk up to someone on the red carpet and be like, excuse me, ma'am, you need to come here. Excuse me, you know, Taylor, Miss Swift. Hi, you need to come this way. Do you know what I mean? Like if you can't get that sentence out, you're, you're kind of mm-hmm. stuck in the water.
0: Right. So. Oh, this is great. I, I, Yeah, I think these are all like small things that people often don't think about when they think about any industry they uh, wanna go into. And for the end, I always like to ask a more personal question, uh, but we talked a lot about your career in sports. So what are one or two of your favorite memories of being a professor?
1: There's one memory that's a pretty continuous memory. I go to graduation every year and I've done it when I was required or not required. I even did it at my last college, which we didn't have to go. But I went anyway. And the reason I went was I know what that's the culmination of. So, a lot of you that are students, you don't share all the work you do with your parents. You don't say, I was in the library for 48 hours straight working on this project. Or, you know, while I was doing this, I didn't eat for a day and I just forgot because I was so focused. Like, you're not sharing those stories with your parents. And I, I know why you're not. But I know that those things are happening because I see you. I'm the one who saw you during that 48 hours or I'm the one who saw you after you completed that project and you were like, wow, I'm really glad I got it done. I'm so proud of my work. So I go not to graduation for the fundamental point of graduation. I go because I know how much work you all put in to every day being there and pushing and pushing yourself through times that were really hard getting yourself out of bed on days when you're like, man, I do not want to go to class, but you came anyway. And going in and putting 100% behind classes that, hopefully not mine, but classes that you just didn't love and you still put 100% in, you know? And so I go because I think it's my way of honoring the work that you all have done and making sure that someone realizes that you really, I know what you did to get there. And so that's one of my favorite memories is seeing people earn that degree Once I know the blood, sweat, and tears that came that it took to earn it, right? So that's one of them. I would say the other one is, in general, just watching students accomplish something they didn't think they could do. And it's different. I have different memories for different students. I had a student who was terrified of public speaking. And because of the campaigns class she took, there was only like 11 people in the whole class. So unfortunately, she was going to have to say something. She overcame that fear. And it was a deathly fear. like It was something that she she had already taken a public speaking class, and, and I saw her overcome that. So to me, that was really amazing. I've seen students who build skills in not their first language, Fasha, not their second <laughs> language sometimes, but their third language, and they turn out to be an amazing writer. And so watching people either do something they didn't think they could do or do something that's like, oh, they're almost having to do twice as much work to be able to do it, That's really cool to me. Um, I love those light bulb moments where people are like, oh, that's why you do that. Wow. Like, okay. I don't get a ton of those anymore only because the junior and senior level classes I'm teaching, I tend to have more where it's more like you're, I see the puzzle pieces going together as opposed to a light bulb going off. But those are always my favorite moments. I love hearing from my students when they graduate. And even just this morning, I had a student who I've had more than a decade ago reach out to me and say, I've decided to go back to grad school. I need a recommendation. It has to be from a faculty member. And you're the faculty member who I think imprinted on me the most. you know what I mean? And so those are the memories that I really like, is just knowing that there were people who I did have an impact on.
0: Oh, I love these. And now I can't wait to see you at my graduation in May. But this is all for today. Thank you so much, Dr. Scott, for joining me. And thank you to all our listeners. Stay tuned for more podcasts coming soon.